Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to get back into our study through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we've been here uh, for a number of weeks already, and then we've had a break uh, with several things going on. So I want to try to get back into this uh, study through this book. Thank you so much. Then after the message tonight, we'll have a prayer letter or two to read and take some prayer requests and spend some time praying, make some announcements as well for what's coming up this week. Uh, when we get into chapter two, we're going to read. We're going to read the whole chapter here just to get our bearings, uh, because this message tonight is an introductory message to this chapter. And uh, chapter two basically uh, is Paul getting into the object that he had in mind when he wrote this epistle to the church. Chapter one. Uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, there's three chapters in the book of 2 Thessalonians, and there's three issues that are tied in all together. And I'll talk about some of that in just a second, but let's, uh, let's start in, in verse 1 and just read the whole chapter to get our bearings here, because like I said, this is really the main thrust or the reason why Paul wrote this letter. He says in verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition." who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie." that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 
Now, as I said, Paul begins to get into the real reason for why he wrote this epistle in chapter 2. And I also said there are three chapters in this epistle. Uh, chapter 1, as you know, if you'll remember, was mainly about encouragement in persecution. There was persecution in this church from the moment that the church was established. But now it seems like that persecution has escalated even more in just a handful of months because this church is not very old. And there's only a few months, a handful of months, between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. They're close together. And yet Paul is writing again to this church to address some issues. And so Paul writes to encourage the brethren in all of their tribulations and all of the persecutions that they endure. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. He said, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So the main idea in chapter 1 is encouragement to the church in persecution. When you get over to chapter 3, Paul is dealing with something different. He's dealing with insubordination in the church. There were some people in the church who weren't being obedient saints of God. Chapter 3 tells us about them if you look in verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. And so there were some here who were walking disorderly, as Paul says. And the saints of God, he gives instruction to the church, withdraw yourselves from those among you, these brothers that are walking disorderly among you. That phrase, to walk disorderly, it means out of step. It means unruly, and it means insubordinate. And so there were some in the church who weren't behaving and being obedient Christians, and Paul's giving instruction here. They were leading an unruly life. They weren't obeying the tradition received from the Apostle Paul. And what that means, it's not some you know, uh, man-made tradition that he's talking about here. This is the way we do it, and this is the way we've always done it. It's our tradition, and so you need to keep this. That's not what he's saying. What, what that phrase means, it's the teaching of the Word of God. And so they weren't obeying the teaching of the Word of God received from the Apostle Paul. They were undisciplined in their life. Now verse 11, look at that. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So not only were they undisciplined in their life, but some weren't doing any work, and they were acting like busybodies into other people's business. They had too much time on their hands, in other words, getting themselves into a lot of trouble. Verse 14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And so they didn't obey the instruction that the Apostle Paul had given. And he said, if somebody doesn't obey the teaching of the Word of God in this instruction, then they need to be disciplined. Note that man, have no company with him. And he notes that they were brothers in Christ. They were all members of the church. So you had some insubordination among Christians. You had some disobedient Christians in the church. You had some undisciplined members in the church who were unruly living and so on. In chapter 3, 
was written to correct that. So in chapter 1, you've got comfort for the persecuted. In chapter 3, you have correction for the insubordinate. But then there's chapter 2. What's going on in chapter 2? Well, chapter 2 and the mindset of some in the church in chapter 2 might actually be the reason for the problems of chapter 3. In chapter 2, Paul is addressing another issue. It's an issue of confusion. The Thessalonians had adopted an erroneous notion concerning the day of the Lord, or the tribulation period, and other uh, judgment events of God. And we've talked about this in prior messages, that the day of the Lord is a phrase that's kind of all-encompassing. It's a phrase that means the time when God has control and God is meeting out judgment in this world. That's the day of the Lord. And so there were some who had adopted some erroneous notions concerning the day of the Lord. That includes the tribulation period. And they supposed that the day of the Lord was already happening. And in consequence of that belief... They were thrown into this state of excitement, this state of alarm, this state of disturbance in their life. They were agitated. It has been suggested that because the Thessalonians had the wrong view of the judgment of God or the day of the Lord, that it was either happening right now or it was imminent, like it's going to happen any minute, that that's the reason that some of them quit their jobs or didn't have work and they uh, we're working not at all because there. What's the point? The Lord's either going to come and in right now, or we're already in the in the day of judgment. So what's the point of living a normal life? Well, it wasn't happening. It wasn't going on, and so they've got time on their hands. They're mooching off of other people, etc. It's been suggested that that might be the case. That's plausible. It's plausible because of this wrong doctrine. Nonetheless. Paul states that they were shaken in their mind. They were troubled because of this wrong belief. So, in this chapter, Paul again is teaching that the rapture needs to happen before the day of the Lord, and then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And Paul talks a lot about the Antichrist. We're not going to talk about that tonight. I want to give you just basically a breakdown of the content of this chapter. First of all, Paul reminds them of his former instruction on this issue. How he had told them that before the coming of the day of the Lord, there would be a great apostasy, the man of sin would be revealed, whose nature and whose characteristics would be unmistakable. But at the present time, there was a restraining influence that was going on that was preventing his appearance. Look what he says in verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withhold it, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And we'll talk about what that word letteth and let means. It means to restrain, basically. But Paul says, I told you about these things. And he reminded them about the doctrine of the day of the Lord and what would happen and the characteristic. And we don't see all of that detail, but Paul 
apparently taught all of these things to the Thessalonians when he was with them. Then when that restraining influence is going to be removed, the man of sin would be revealed, accompanied with powers and signs and wonders of falsehoods. He would succeed in deceiving those who were destitute of the truth. And then the Lord Jesus, he would bodily come and destroy him with the breath of his mouth and the glory of his presence. And then starting in verse 13 of this chapter, Paul thanks God that the Thessalonians, on the contrary, were chosen to salvation to a, and to participate in the glory of the Lord. And Paul exhorts them then to stand fast in the instruction that they'd been given and that he had delivered to them. And then finally, Paul concludes with a prayer for their consolation and their comfort and their confirmation to stay stable and stay strong. That's the basic breakdown of this chapter. What I want to do tonight, I'm not going to keep you longer than that. I'm just going to look at a few verses and then make an application for us, and then we'll be done. But it's a relevant application for the day that we live in. And by the way, the Word of God is always relevant, amen? No matter what age it is, no matter what time it is, it is always relevant for our life. And I find it to be so again here tonight. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. He starts with the word now. The word literally means but. But it's a word that was a transition word. And so Paul is transitioning from chapter 1, where he was encouraging them in their persecution, to now transitioning to the main reason for writing. And he says, Now we beseech you. That word beseech basically has the meaning to ask. And so Paul is asking something of the church, but it carries great intensity with it. Okay? So it's not just a simple question, like, I'm going to ask something of you, church. No, there's a lot more to it than that. He is asking, but it has so much intensity to it that they need to pay attention. He says, we beseech you, brethren, by. And the word by means regarding, but it carries the meaning on the basis of. So he says, I'm asking something of you on the basis of this. And it's on the basis of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word coming here is the Greek word parousia. It basically has the simple meaning of return. Basically, it means I'm, I'm asking you this on the basis of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was a word that was specifically used of Jesus Christ returning to punish Jerusalem or returning to final punishment of the wicked. Okay, so it's very specific in its meaning. Paul says, I'm asking you with great intensity on the basis of the return of Jesus Christ to judgment and secondly, on the basis of our gathering together unto him. That phrase means an assembling. And the rapture 
of the saints is clearly implied here. This phrase is very similar to the phrase that Paul used back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 17 regarding the catching away of the saints. Paul said in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's a very similar phrase or wording to that. And so Paul says, he's talking about the rapture here. And Paul says, I'm asking something of you, church. I'm asking something from you on the basis of, one, the physical bodily return of Jesus Christ. That the Bible says that when he comes in his glory, that every eye is going to see him. It will be unmistakable. And friends, you haven't seen him yet. So I'm asking something of you on the basis of that. And number two, I'm asking something of you on the basis of our gathering together unto him, the rapture of the saints. And you and I haven't been taken out of here yet. So I'm asking you on the basis of these two things that are very certain that you what? Well, look at verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And so what is it that Paul is asking of them? on the basis of the coming of the Lord, that you haven't seen Him yet, on the basis of the fact that you're not gone yet, and neither am I, what am I asking of you? That you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled in spirit. The word soon means easily or hastily. In other words... Paul is implying here that it's very easy for you, very easy for you to be shaken in your mind and to be troubled. He says there's some certain things here, things that are very certain. And on the basis of those things, I'm asking you, don't be so hastily or easily removed. That's why he said stand fast later on in the chapter. Stand fast in the things that you've been taught. The phrase, shaken in mind, it means to waver. It means to be agitated or to rock back and forth. What happens when, well, for some people anyway, when you get on some roller coaster ride or you get on some, you know, kind of amusement park ride that does a whole lot of shaking and rocking back and forth, what happens? Sometimes you get, sometimes you, you lose your lunch. That's what you do. But sometimes your, your head gets all squirrely, doesn't it? And you start to feel sick and you, you're disoriented and you can't really uh, see straight or think straight and you're dizzy. You get all disoriented. You get scrambled from the rocking back and forth. So this word kind of means that, to rock back and forth. It carries the meaning also of being destroyed because of the shaking. 
like a great earthquake that starts to shake everything and it makes everything crumble. And he says, notice how he says, that ye be not soon or easily or hastily shaken in mind. In the mind is the key. Anxiety, fear, wrong thinking is produced because of anxiety, because of fear. Believing things that are not true produces more anxiety and more fear. And what happens when you start thinking wrong? It leads to wrong acting. It leads to wrong behavior, which ultimately could lead to destruction. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Paul says you're easily, hastily, rocking, uh, you're agitated, you're wavering, you're rocking back and forth, you're shaken in your mind, in your thinking. Well, then he says, or troubled. So here's what I'm asking. Don't be so quickly and hastily shaken in your mind and troubled. The word troubled means to clamor. It means to be afraid. So they were thinking wrong, and it caused fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. So whatever's going on in your life, that is not of God. If it's full of fear, and it's full of anxiety, and wrong thinking, that's not of God. That's not what God's given you. Now, what particularly was their confusion? Well, look at the second part of verse 2. He says, don't be shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. What was their particular confusion here? Well, apparently they had been told by somebody that they were already in the day of the Lord. Now, they knew enough about the day of the Lord to know that the day of the Lord was a time of God's final judgment. They knew that. But as they looked at all of their persecutions going on, and it was severe, friend. It wasn't minor. It was severe persecution. And as they look at all the persecutions going on, all the hostility against them, some of them concluded that they were actually in the day of the Lord, and maybe they missed the rapture. Remember what some were fearful of back in... 1 Thessalonians? Some had died, and they were like, well, what about them, Paul? Those who've died, did they miss the rapture? And Paul teaches, no, no, whether you live or die, if you're in Christ, you're not going to miss it. Those who've died, they're going to come out of the grave first, and then all of us together are going to be caught up together to, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So you say, well, then how is it possible since Paul addressed that back in 1 Thessalonians, how is it possible then that they're still out of whack in their thinking? Well, you know what happened? Apparently, somebody had come into the church and told these people that they were in the day of the Lord. And in order to substantiate that false teaching, 
Maybe they pulled out a letter purported to have been written by Paul, a counterfeit. And see, you say Paul's teaching this. Paul said this. And to that, Paul replies in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. In any way and by any means, let no man deceive you. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so just keep with me, okay? Let me just give you a summary here, and then we'll make an application or two. Paul is requesting that the Thessalonians not be quickly shaken or disturbed. That tells us something about their mental and emotional state in the church. Does it not? Would you, would you agree? Don't be soon quickly shaken or disturbed. It tells us something about their mental and emotional condition in the church. Mentally, they were being shaken from their mind. They were unable to keep their wits about them in order to discern truth and error. Emotionally, they were in a continual state of nervousness or nervous excitement or anxiety. What's interesting is that the only other place that this word is used in the New Testament, it was used when Jesus himself warns his followers not to be troubled by any disturbing events which precede the tribulation period. You can read about it in Mark chapter 24. What was causing that disturbance? Well, there was false teaching that was coming from three sources. He says in verse 2, Don't be troubled, neither by spirit. This refers to some form of either false prophetic utterance, some sort of a claim of speaking with authority of divine revelation. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Hold your place here and just look at 2 Peter chapter 2. In verse 1, the Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Peter writes and says there's a promotion of error going on here. The effect of that error is deception of souls, and people follow their pernicious ways to destruction. Many follow after their pernicious ways and their damnable heresies. And so it's not uncommon then for there to be false prophets and false teachers who claim to speak uh, with some authority from God. But Paul says, let no man deceive you by any means. But the problem was that they were shaken in their minds and it was maybe uh, this spirit of some sort that was causing them this confusion. Now look at 1 John chapter 4. Again, stay with me. This will all come 
together in a second. Why am I talking about this? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, God never contradicts himself. And so this spirit or this claim or this teaching of speaking with some sort of divine authority, God's people need to have a heart of discernment, a mind of discernment to know truth from error. But because of embracing a false truth, they were shaken in their minds. They wavered. Go back to the text in verse 2. Paul says, Don't be troubled or shaken in your mind by a spirit nor by word. That word simply means a message. It refers to somebody claiming to have a conversation with Paul or hearing a, a remark that maybe Paul made, a claim to assert authority of the apostle based, based on something that's actually unverifiable. So someone's saying this, someone has this message, someone has this word, and then he says, a letter, as from us. Someone maybe claimed to have a letter written by Paul, but it wasn't from Paul himself. It's interesting that at the end, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 17, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Paul was trying to make it clear, I'm actually the one writing this. So what exactly was the false teaching then? Well, the Thessalonians were being told that the day of the Lord had already come, that these believers were already experiencing the tribulation. That's why their persecution was there and so on. But in order to defeat that false teaching, that the tribulation or the day of the Lord had already begun, Paul then goes in to start focusing on the preconditions for the coming of the day of the Lord and the tribulation, and he shows that this has not happened yet. And we're going to get to that part maybe next time. But let me make an application here as we wrap this up. The fact was, is that these people were agitated, they were waffling, they were wavering, they were shaken in their mind, they were fearful. They were fearful over things that were not true. Would you agree with that? They were fearful over things that were not true. But you know what? We also can be soon troubled by things. All of the things that they were fearful of were outside influences. They were not from within. They were not from the Apostle Paul. We also can be soon troubled by things, outside influences. For example, the world situation. It can cause great anxiety and fear in people. You know, it wasn't that long ago, and 
ISIS was making its way across the Middle East and destroying things. And before that, there was a different kind of war. And before that, there was another kind of war. And right now, we've got war in Russia and Ukraine and so on. And, and, what, and, and China's going to take Taiwan next. And, and then pretty soon, Russia and Turkey are going to align together. And, and this is probably going to happen. And, and oh, no, uh, uh, Putin talked about nuclear war. Should we get ready for a nuclear attack? You, saw, you understand what I'm saying, what I'm getting at? Outside influences can soon make us easily and quickly and hastily shaken in our minds. Our own government can do that. COVID or the next pandemic that they're going to release on us after the election. You know, that kind of stuff. And more government lockdowns and loss of freedoms. Our minds can easily run these ways. And you know what? Maybe it's not world conditions. Maybe it's circumstances in your own life that come along and shake you to your core and start to cause you to doubt and cause you to waffle in your thinking back and forth, creating instability in your heart and in your mind. Don't tell me I'm not telling the truth. Even other people. And what they do. And what they say. And how it can affect us. And it can affect our thinking. All of those things, and probably a host of others, can cause fear in our mind and in our heart. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You ever felt tormented? Because you don't know what's up and what's down. You don't know what's heads and what's tails, and you're full of confusion. Well, truth is the antidote to fear. Truth is the antidote to fear. And in this case, Paul said, you're shaken in your mind, you're, you're waffling, you're fearful over this thing, and it's not a true thing. And don't you remember that I told you about these things when I was yet with you? Paul points them back to the truth. And what was he doing in pointing them back to the truth? He's trying to calm them. He's trying to settle their minds about these things because they were shaken and troubled. And here's the principle. The answer in every situation is always the truth. That's the answer. Why does the Word of God tell us to think on whatsoever things are true. Amen? Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. Things that are virtuous and so on. Think on these things. Because in the mind is where the battle is. But all too often we start believing lies. And we believe the lies of our own heart. And that causes us to think a certain way. Like making assumptions about other people, for example. 
All right, let's do it. Here we go. Somebody does something, and instantly, I'm forming a conclusion and assigning motives as to why they did that and why they said it. And based on my assumption and the conclusion I've drawn, now I've formulated an opinion about this person. And that opinion about this person is now dictating the way that I act and the way that I think about them and toward them. Come on. Come on. All of a sudden now it's like, hmm. I don't really like that person. And you know what this person did? You know what they said? This is why they did it. And I formed this whole conclusion about a person's character, about a person's motives, and everything else. And from now on, this is the way that I think and operate toward them. When here's the reality, it's probably not true. How about you go ask them? How about you talk to them? How about you find out and verify? Because truth is the answer. Paul said, don't you remember when I told you? Points you back to the truth here. You need to know. You need to bring to mind. You need to cling to truth that you've been taught. Because that is the only antidote to fear. When it comes to world situations, oh no! Right? The apocalypse and everything else. What does the Word of God tell us? How should we be thinking? How should, how should we be stable and settled in our minds, not shaken and troubled? fearful in our minds? Even believers who are well instructed can succumb to deception. We must constantly be on guard. And we must validate the messages that we're getting, even if they're messages from our own mind and heart. We need to validate those messages against the infallible Word of God. You know what, if we track with the news for very long, it's easy to become anxious about all the evil that takes place every day. You can come away from all of that and you can wonder whether God is really in control in the world. Well, in our text, Paul, he goes on to show the Thessalonians that God is sovereign even over evil rulers and evil events. Listen, at the climax of history, the most powerful, hideously evil ruler that has ever been is going to gain a worldwide following. But Paul shows, hey, that's all part of God working His plan in this world. And that part is not for you. God's chosen you to something different. That's the truth that you need to cling to. And his point here, even though it kind of gives us a timetable of end things, his point even wasn't really necessarily to do that. His point was actually to comfort these persecuted believers with the truth so they could think right, so they could act right. 
One commentator said this. He said, Paul is convinced that all men and events are in the hand of God. He writes to assure them that whatever happens, God is still over all. I think that's a valuable truth to be reminded of. Amen? Because if not, we get anxious, we get scrambled in our thoughts, it leads to us getting distracted from our purpose and our mission. We need the Word of God always. And whatever it is, and whatever, listen, whatever it is, truth is the antidote to fear. Let's cling to the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use the simple message tonight to challenge our hearts and challenge our thinking, even challenge some of our behaviors. And Lord, I pray that we'd not be prideful or resistant. Lord, but be willing to be admonished. Be willing to receive truth. And Lord, may the Word of God effectually work in us that believe. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the truth that doesn't ever change, that we can build life on. It's solid. It's a solid rock that is unwavering, and if we rest in it, we too can stand fast and not be soon shaken or troubled in our own mind and heart either. Bless your people. Thank you for the time. In Jesus' name, amen.